the uh, scriptures in uh, both the Old and the New Testament uh, emphasize the responsibility of parenting. And uh, obviously the reason that the importance of it is emphasized is because it makes such a difference. You know, our kids have the freedom to make choices, and they will. But at the same time, there's no, no question whatsoever that uh, the influence of the parents is a major factor in uh, how the children turn out, what the outcome will be. And so I thought, I thought today would be a, a good day to just talk about parenting. It's not that I'm especially going to address uh, David and Larney. You know, you've taken on this parental role and this is how you do it. No, of course not. But an occasion, you people are the occasion why we can, we can look at that topic today. And uh, I'm talking about the responsibility that you and I as parents have to pass pass it on, pass the faith on. And, uh, and so I think we'll begin by simply reading, these, uh, reading this passage together, and then uh, we'll go into it. Let's stand together and uh, say the words of uh, Deuteronomy 6, 1 to 9, and then Ephesians chapter, which, which I read before. But let's say them together. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life here, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And then in Ephesians, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. Thank you. Please be seated. And so we have it here in both Testaments. The New Testament, the call is to bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. And here in Deuteronomy, uh, they're called upon, the parents are called upon to train the children to live according to the covenant relationship which exists between God and his special nation, Israel. 
And uh, realistically, as fathers, mothers, parents, single or married, if we are Christians and want our lights to shine, then for most of us, the greatest potential to influence is within our own homes. When you, all is said and done, and we've been on this earth about 100 years, probably what, where we've had the biggest influence has been in and through our parents. Uh, theologian Marva Dawn, who wrote that uh, wonderful book, and I'm referring to only one of her books, Reaching Out Without Dumbing Down, uh, says that almost 60% in the U.S. attribute their current religious beliefs to the example of their parents. Is that surprising? I don't think so. She says almost 60%. That's in the U.S. when she wrote this, uh, quoting from another source. Do you think it's any different now? Do you think it's any different in Canada? I would think that that would be fairly normal, that a very high percentage of people would say that my faith, the things that mean the most to me, have a lot to do with the way that I was raised. And so there's the responsibility here that's very clear in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that as parents we are called upon to pass on the Christian faith. We can't choose for them, but we can influence. And in this uh, context, it's uh, very interesting uh, what Moses is expressing here as a concern for what we would call perpetuity. Uh, he wants the faith to be passed on from generation to generation. In uh, verses 1 and 2, these are the commands uh, the Lord your God directed to observe. And then verse 2, so that you, your children, and their children after them, may fear the Lord your God as long as you live. And then verse 7, impress them, he says, on your children. And so on, talk about them. Influence, influence. Hmm. But how can we do that? How can we do it today? After all, children grow up with minds of their own, and they don't always follow their parents' instructions. And uh, there's no way that we would want them to make choices just because this is what mom would like or this is what dad would want. We want them to make their own choices, of course. And yet we're called upon to influence. How can we do that? Three ideas that I think are part of the answer. And I stress part of the answer because we're always looking for further insight. But three ideas that I see in this text in Deuteronomy that's going to make the difference. First is a wholehearted commitment. A wholehearted commitment to the Lord on the part of the parents. I mean, that's where it has to start, really. And then the second thing, what I would call intentional teaching. I think that's pretty obvious. You teach your children. We've covered all that in the vows that were just made. 
And then the third one comes out of that, and I want to talk about that, is what I call integrated living. And I'll explain that more fully when we get to it. But beginning with the parents, you and I as adults, having a wholehearted commitment to the Lord. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, says, and with all your soul and with all your strength. God is one. Hear, O Israel, God is one. He is unique. He is singular. He alone is the creator. He is the source of all. And he alone in the persons of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is uncreated. Everything else is created. And he alone is timeless, without beginning. Before there was time, he was. And before there was a universe, he was. And he stands alone. He is without rival. Now, what then would be expected in response to the one who is singular, undivided? Well, that kind of response. A singular, undivided commitment. Even as he is without rival, in fact, being one, so he is to be without rival in the people's consideration. He alone is to have that first priority, that ultimate allegiance and worship. And we talked about that similarly last week as uh, Jesus said that, you know, be, can, can't be my disciple unless you're prepared to put me first above your relationships, above your own life, and above your possessions. And isn't it interesting how, how it comes together? Here is in the Old Testament, he is one, and we are to commit ourselves wholeheartedly to him without, without giving him any rivals, okay? And in the New Testament, Jesus Christ expresses the same call for commitment because he is God in the flesh. Without rival. And the emphasis here is on loving him. Uh, for all the emphasis upon adhering closely to the instructions, the summary of it all is love. Careful obedience was essential, but it could be carried out properly only where the people responded in love. And so in verse 5, there's that call for a wholehearted love for him. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. I think he's saying here, love the Lord your God in a wholehearted way with all of you, your whole person. In our world today, we so often think of the word heart, the way we use it, the heart is the emotions. No, that's not the scriptural thing. Emotions are up and down. They come and go. Feelings are, well, they're feelings. But the call to love God with a heart is with your whole person, the whole inner, the mainspring of our life. Give yourself fully to him in love. Uh, here in verse 6, when he says, let these, uh, let these teachings be on your heart, there it's almost like the heart is the, the mind right there, you know, memory. You might say, and sometimes it's used as the will. Uh, Daniel, uh, it says, purposed in his heart. Remember, he purposed in his heart. There's the will. The commitment. 
well, uh, here, let these things be on the mind. And we might say, well, why? So they become an internal part of you, shaping your attitudes so they can be obeyed. A wholehearted internal commitment where God is loved as first priority. And that will lead to a life of obedience. And it's the starting point in being a good influence on our children. Starting point in passing it on as a parent. But if the children are going to be influenced in the Christian walk, they need to be taught what it's about. And so that's the second thing here. Intentional teaching. Intentional teaching. Verse 7, impress them on your children and talk about them. Uh, ESV has teach them diligently. Teach them diligently. Or new RSV, recite them to your children. There's the idea of repeating it. <laughs> All of it. That's how we impress it upon the children. So as parents, we are responsible to pass on the teachings of our faith to our children. And the goal here in the, the Deuteronomy text is that genera generation after generation would obey the teachings and then the, te then the nation would be blessed. But you know, for that to happen, then every generation has to receive the teaching, has to be given the teaching. And so it is with us. You know, I'm sure many of you are uh, concerned about your grandchildren. And you didn't think of that when you were teaching your children. You know, I'm doing this so that they will teach their children. But, you know, that, that's part of the outcome. If we are, you know, good models and, and do our best and prayerfully do our best, uh, then the next generation can do the same. Well, that's the way it was here. And as we've already seen, it's the same in the New Testament where it says in Ephesians, fathers there, especially fathers, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Now, from our stage in life, Marty and I realize how quickly those days went by. Um, we were blessed with Three healthy children. First, a girl. And I guess that was a good thing because she helped to sort of nurture the two boys that came along later. And uh, three children, 22 months apart in each case. And as we were expecting our first one, we knew it was going to be a boy. In fact, um, a friend of ours in Portland, we were, I went to seminary in Portland. And so after two years there, the, after my second year, we're going to our base was up in Canada on the lower mainland, and before we left, uh, this friend prayed for the son that was going to be born. Of course, you know, the, you know that it was a girl. <laughs> a nurturing kind of a person. But now, they are middle-aged parents, and they're, they have the same responsibility. to try to do their part to influence their children to follow Jesus Christ. Of course, we don't know how well that's happening until 
much later. They're doing their part. They're doing well as far as I know. But the time is short. It goes by so quickly. And, uh, but I'll tell you about, we, we know that we made lots of mistakes. <laughs> and uh, we tried. We really gave ourselves seriously to this very thing that I'm talking about. And uh, I think each one of you, if you're in the parental stage, you have to decide yourself how you're going to do this. Uh, we're all different, and your spouses are different, and uh, I think we found that uh, part, of what, part of what happened with us, we had a little different... She was probably best with them in their younger years, and maybe I was a little better with them in their teenage years. So you have to kind of work that out. What works for you and what are the practical things? I'm just going to share some things we did, not because we learned it all or have the, we're the best model, but it may give you some ideas of some practical, simple things that might be helpful to you. And if it communicates nothing else, I wanted to communicate that very thing, that it can be simple, down-to-earth, common-sense kind of steps you can take in doing what you can to pass on the faith to the next generation and to your children. So here goes. Uh, we used the kind of devotional booklets for our family reading that were of interest to them. You know, you can imagine that, uh, you know, hearing uh, uh, just simply the Bible at a time when it doesn't mean much to them. They can't understand, but we use simple devotional books. We memorized some scripture. We taught interesting Bible stories. We encouraged them to read the comic strip Bible. I don't know if that same one is available or not, but it was a great one. And our oldest, who was, you know, always wanted to please us and be a good girl, uh, she read it faithfully and would check it out in the church library. And it was in three different editions. And I think she probably read all of the editions more than once. But that was one of the things we did. And of course, we kept them in Sunday school and in young people's as they got older. Uh, when we went to uh, Winnipeg, uh, we didn't, they had a good Sunday school in church, but they didn't have much of a youth program. So Marty made a point of uh, enlisting them at a neighborhood church for a Pioneer Girls and Boys, uh, what, what is it, Pioneer? Boys Brigades, I think it is, and Pioneer Girls. And you know that church, they, they knew that we weren't going to be members of their church, and I was a pastor in another church, but they were so kind and so good, and one of the highlights that meant a lot to me in my memory was that uh, one of them took uh, our son, Corey, to an NHL hockey game. Pretty special. But in other words, we got all the help we could get from the church as well as from other churches. We encouraged them to go to youth retreats, which were fun events. We didn't have to push them. They went to summer camps. In Winnipeg, there was Camp Arness. We thought our son maybe needed a little more special in a larger camp. And then the others went to our own Baptist denomination camp, uh, Pelican. But you know, we, and especially my wife, had, had insight into the kind of thing that might be appropriate. But you see, these kinds of things are enjoyable. In fact, they're fun events. And we didn't have to push them, but it was so good for them. And since we lived in Winnipeg through their teen years, that included youth retreats at Providence College and Seminary, 
which made it an easy step for them to become students there after high school graduation. Though as parents, we have the major responsibility, we need all the help we can get. And so being part of a church that provides for children and youth is such a blessing. And I think you can fully understand that many people who are raising children will choose a church mainly on the basis of whether or not there's a good, good youth programs. We may not like that, but it is what it is. And as we're considering what we're going to do in the future, that's one of the factors that we have to take very seriously. Prospective members of the church, they're going to choose on the basis partly, largely, is there something here for my kids? Because like you, like me, we know we need all the help we can get. Even though we have the major responsibility, we want the help from the church. And you know, when we're intentional, getting back to the actual teaching ourselves, when we are intentional all about getting the teaching of the Bible into our children's minds, we are not simply communicating the content that we are communicating. We're making a statement. We're communicating something else. We are communicating that this is important. We're communicating that this is part of our routine. You know, I don't know how many times you tell them that they have to brush their teeth, but it becomes routine. I don't think you have to tell them forever they need to be clean because after a while they want to look good among their peers. It becomes part of the routine. And as we intentionally take time to read the Bible together, to pray together, and these other things that go along with the Christian life, we are communicating that this is our, this is a routine. It is so important. And, uh, and so it is. Now I hear some mom or dad saying, you know, I, I'd make too many mistakes if I were to try to teach the Bible. I don't, I don't know enough about teaching these principles and it's better that I not say anything because uh, I might lead them astray. And I want to say it doesn't have to be profound. The simpler the better. Use simple material. Learn with the kids. And you can say that. I don't. Let's look at this together. This is what it's about, I guess. And so we're going to find out. And I also want to say that more important than the level of what is being taught and whether the I's are dotted properly or the T's are crossed, more important is the tone of the whole thing. Is it a positive experience? Not learn this or else, but rather how privileged we are. Hey, isn't this neat? Positive tone. And probably that matters more than anything else, whether it's positive. Remember, as we've read, that it's ultimately about love. They need to know that they are unconditionally loved and accepted. Doesn't mean you approve of everything. In fact, one of the things that I need to let you know is that there were red lines. We had our red line that they couldn't cross. 
And if they did, then they learned quickly that they mustn't cross that line. And so you don't approve of everything, and you do discipline. You do what you need to do to, to enforce correction, of course, which is part of love. But it's to be unconditional love. The attitude that we are so blessed to have you as our son or as our daughter. We are enriched. Positive tone. New Testament calls for this being positive experience. As we all read in Ephesians, fathers do not exasperate your children. And uh, other translations there, uh, exas or, uh, do not provoke them to anger. And there's the um, assumption that fathers are in a position where they can cause their children's anger. Don't provoke them. And the parallel passage in Colossians 3 reads like this, Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. <laughs> My goodness. Almost sounds like a contemporary psychologist, doesn't it? You know, child's a psychologist. Or they will become discouraged. I think of uh, new RSV. Fathers, do not provoke your children or they may lose heart. Wow. We shouldn't be surprised at that kind of insight, but it's almost like today's lingo. They may lose heart, and that's pretty serious. And as parents, we need to think very seriously about how, how this might happen. I think any one of us can think of ways that that might happen, and uh, here's, here's a few suggestions of how, how together these, or each one can contribute to the child losing heart. One would be um, constant nagging, okay? Avoid that. Being inflexible. Shutting down the conversation. They've asked something that is out of bounds, so we're not going to talk about it. Comparing one child with another. Heaping guilt. They never learned about guilt, but they know how to feel guilty. And it's so easily done. Um, children seem to almost naturally blame themselves when things go wrong. And we know, of course, that when parents break up, children will often begin to think that it was their fault. Be careful about guilt. Setting unrealistic standards. Giving more criticism than compliments. Hmm. There's some studies, of course, that show how that you need many compliments to compensate for one criticism. I'm sure that we've all been guilty of some of these at times, but I think you can see that if in the balance sheet of the total, the negative stuff adds up more than the positive, you can see how that can contribute to a child losing heart. And again, I say that the tone is all important. The tone of privilege, tone of being blessed, as we have heard today in the case of JC and Derek and how Larney and David feel blessed to have these children. How can we best influence by a wholehearted commitment on our part and secondly by intentional intentional teaching 
third one, living an integrated life as a Christian. Integrated living. And what exactly do I mean with that? Well, think of the word integrity. We, uh, we probably think of integrity as being uh, honest, and it is, but it's more than that. Uh, think of a painting that has integrity. There's a, there's a consistency there, okay? It coheres. It all comes together. And, uh, and that's where the teaching here, and you see it here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where the commitment to God and his teachings was to shape all of life. All of life. Uh, impress them on your children. Then he says, talk about them when, when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your house. It was a total way of life. That's integrated living. And the symbols here even, uh, you know, on the forehead, as an individual. All of my life as an individual, but then it talked about on the door, uh, doorpost of your house, so, so that's your household. And then on the gate going outward into the city in the community. Wow. And uh, that's the call here. And that's the call in the New Testament. As a Christian, our faith is to shape all of life. And uh, many people today think of their religion, and maybe they think especially of other people's religion, is something they should keep at home and in the church. It's as if we should park our faith at the office door and uh, frankly, our faith isn't that kind of faith where you can do that. I mean, if I work in an office, I'm going to want to love my neighbor as myself. That's part of my faith. And I'm not going to park that at the door. I'm going to want to be a good servant. That's part of my faith. And so I can't park that at the office door. But you know, that's, that's the call here as Christians, that all of life is to be shaped by my allegiance to Jesus Christ. It's not meant to be a mere appendix of the book, but it's meant to be the theme of the whole book, okay? It's not just a small piece of the pie, but it is the pie. It's the whole thing. Chuck Colson called the kind of thinking that would segregate faith matters just to church life, he, he called it a deadly form of schizophrenia. I think it's good, a good expression. Schizophrenia. And it seems that in our fallen nature, we have a carnal instinct to put our religion into a little cubby hole as to limit its influence. And, uh, you know, it gives you a little bit of an escape, right? Uh, rather than for God to maintain control of your whole life. But when you happen, when you do that, you have a dissonance. You have an inconsistency. A segregation between the walk and the talk, between the belief and the behavior. And children are especially quick to pick this up. And they're not impressed. And they know they're free individuals when they grow up. <laughs> when I get out of here, I don't have to, you know, yeah. Inconsistency. Howie Hendricks was a wonderful Christian educator of a couple generations back. 
and he was asked by a student what he thought was the most important trait for his children to gain. He told the student that he would have to think about it, and he came back to the conclusion, came to the conclusion that, quote, if I had to choose only one characteristic for my children, it would be honesty. I find that young people coming from Christian homes are rebelling most over phoniness and lack of reality. Not from having parents who are not perfect. I find that the parent who is honest enough to say, buddy, I goofed, I apologize, he says that comes over like horseradish. And I don't know why he said horseradish. But he lived in Texas, so maybe here he would say it comes over like a banana split or a slurpee or something. But you get the point. <laughs> and so it's not about trying to be what we're not. You want your children to be able to see also part of the faith is that we're saved by grace and we continue to need grace. And will you give me grace because I blew it? And that's part of the modeling. But is there a consistency? Is there integration, including honesty about your need for grace and forgiveness? An integrated way of life so that we are overall directed by our faith commitment, which in turn comes from God's word. One mother who saw each of her children turn out to be outstanding individuals, was asked how she managed to raise such wonderful children, replied that her only secret was to live before them exactly the kind of life she wanted them to live. Simple. Maybe not hard to, maybe not easy to do, but simple to understand. Integrated living. I think as parents, we are the first heroes to our children. Make sense? We're probably their first heroes. Thus the call to be good models, to live integrated lives. One child's psychologist made this observation. Children's moral choices are based not on abstract standards of right and wrong, but on the people they admire and want to emulate. The question for the child is not, do I want to be good? What do, who do I want to be like? Yeah. We are probably their first heroes, especially, you know, first, early age. There's some tragic things, of course, going out there that are related to the lack of parenting or poor parenting. And I, I could wish that every child that doesn't have parents could have what JC and Derek have been given. There's so much out there, so many needs out there. But Chuck Colson, who founded Prison Ministry, obviously knew something about criminals. And this is what he said, and this has to do with the fathering part especially. He says, boys who grow up without fathers are at least, at least twice as likely as other boys to end up in prison. At least twice as likely. He says 60% of rapists 
and 72% of adolescent murderers never knew or lived with their fathers. Former NFL player, professional Bill Glass, and I checked in Google, he's still alive at 83 years, but when this was written, he had had uh, 36 years in prison ministry, and he was interviewed for Christianity Today, and, uh, and, and this is how he answered the question. Excuse me. Uh, he was asked, what is our country's biggest problem? And he said, a lack of the Father's blessing. The FBI studied the 17 kids that have shot their classmates in little towns like Paducah, Kentucky, Pearl, Mississippi, and Littleton, Colorado. All 17 shooters had only one thing in common. Think of that. They came from all kinds of situations, but they had one thing in common, that was all. They had a father problem. He says, I see it so much, it's just unbelievable. There's something about it when a man doesn't get along with his father, makes him mean, makes him dangerous, makes him angry. He says, all these guys on death row love their mothers. It's their fathers they've got the problem with. I was in a prison, Texas, recently where they've got 300 boys ages 10 to 15. These boys have committed every crime you can imagine, and I asked the warden how many of these boys got a visit from their father in the past year, and he said, one. And he stayed only 15 minutes. He got into a fight with his son and stomped out mad. Ah. There you see the outcome when parenting is bad and in this case especially when there isn't any father influence well as i go to a conclusion when all is said and done we have to recognize that we are dependent upon the grace and the provision of our lord having done all that we can it is still ultimately between the Lord himself and the choice of the child. And so how can I then as a Christian parent, whether I'm single, married, how can I do my best to influence my children? That's all I can do. I can influence. I can't force them, but I can influence. How can I do my best? By responding to the Lord in a wholehearted commitment myself and then intentionally instructing our children in God's word. And then as a parent, mom and dad living an integrated life, meaning a life that is consistent, uh, where all of it is impacted and shaped by your Christian faith. I'd like us to close to respond with Joshua. And uh, what he committed himself to in Joshua 24:15. I wonder, can we stand and can we say that together? And, uh, you know, as our way of saying, hey, we are on side with this. Uh, and we'll, we want this to be in our household, okay? Not just as a parent. Let's say it together. 
As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray.